Well, that scripture that you just read um, is the end of a story. Um, it's a story that we've been in for the last four or five weeks. Um, it's a story of Lazarus. If you're new to the Bible, uh, this is a story where Jesus Christ uh, rose a man from the dead. And, um, and this is the ending of that story. We've been calling this series that we're in a God who doesn't make sense. And over and over through the story, I think you've seen how he definitely does not make sense. Um, before I dive in to the, to the scripture today, I, I really need to give some background so that we can understand it well, okay? So this is chapter 11, by the way, if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, chapter 11 in the book of John. Um, we also have an app here at K2. You can just go to the app store and download uh, the K2 app. And uh, all the scripture and my notes are always in there. So you can use that as well today if you have our app. Um, it's interesting because this story of Lazarus uh, being risen from the dead is really the last story in the book of John um, before uh, the whole Easter celebration begins. So it's kind of a perfect time for us to be talking about Lazarus as we're getting in preparation for Easter. In the first 10 chapters, before we get to this chapter 11, John, the writer, reveals who the person of Jesus is. That's all he's doing. In fact, he's the one guy who actually told us why he wrote the book, okay? It's right here in John chapter 20, verse 30, at the very end of his book, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So for 10 chapters, I mean, G he, John shares how Jesus turned water into wine and then how he fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. How he walked on water, numerous healings, healing people of all certain types of diseases. In chapter nine, the last healing right before this ruckus with, with, with Lazarus, he heals a man who was born blind. And this just stirs up the hope, everybody in the community, they can't believe this. How can this actually happen? <laughs> and so that's where we find ourselves. And John says, now listen, I spent those 10 chapters letting Jesus, so you could hear what he says, what his claims are, so that you could see the miraculous power that he has, so that you might believe that he is the son of God and that you might find life in him. Now we gotta be careful in 2016. Because sometimes when we hear the word believe, we just think cognitively. We just think about our minds. But this word in the Greek is a word called pistis, and it actually is translated believe, but it's also translated faith. This is the word for faith in the Bible. And it's also translated trust. So when you hear you, that he, that when he says, man, I'm, I'm writing this so that you will believe, what he's saying is that you will become absolutely convinced of something to the point where you entrust your life. See, that's really different than just getting it and then believing that it's true, right? There's another place in the Bible that says, hey, the demons believe in Jesus. But obviously, they're not entrusting themselves to him. So that's what we're talking about here. So for 10 chapters, John does this, and what we find is many people actually do believe in Jesus, but we also find during these 10 chapters that many people refuse to believe in Jesus. 
In fact, there's one time where even his disciples, now not the 12, the 12 made it, but there were other people who were following Jesus, and that's what a disciple was. They followed Jesus. And when he gave some really tough teaching, all of a sudden they were like, man, okay, we can't buy this anymore. And, then, and Jesus says, from this, and the Bible says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. By the way, I'd never seen this till I was putting the notes in. Do you know what verse that is in the book of John? It's chapter 6, verse 66. I don't know. No, and, I, and I'll just be honest with you, I am not. You, you, if you know me at all, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh my gosh. You know, there's no conspiracy in there. And by the way, did you know this? That when the people actually wrote the Bible, they didn't put chapters and verses in there? Okay? That was something people did later just to help us find them. Okay? So anyway, but I just thought that was intriguing. That when everybody turned away from him. All right. But here's, here's where we're at today. The greatest battle in these 10 chapters is between Jesus and the religious people. This is where the battle lines were drawn, okay? And let me, I just want to explain this. I want to read a passage. It's John chapter 10. It's, it's, it's the chapter right before our story. Because it's really important that you understand the context of what we're going to talk about today. It says, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? Right? Three years. We've been hanging around you, following you. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, then just tell us plainly. You know what Jesus says? I did. <laughs> I mean, he goes, that's his next words. Jesus answered. He goes, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. See, he goes, my sheep, listen to my voice. Now, here's, here's, here's Jesus defining what it means to believe. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you hear that statement? He's saying it again. You guys wonder if I actually believe that I am the Messiah. And he says, I and the Father are one. So just so you know, today you'll hear people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. In fact, listen to this. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you want to stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, so if you ever hear people say, Jesus never claimed to be God, yes, he did. In fact, his enemies were the ones saying that he was claiming that. So why then, Jesus says, do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Do not believe me. This is so interesting. Listen, Jesus is, and, and if you're here today, and Jesus, and you don't believe yet, this is so cool, because Jesus just says to you this morning, don't believe me. Unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. Do you hear what he's saying? 
Listen, he goes, I have made it so clear to you that I am the son of God, that I'm the Messiah. I have made, but you don't believe me. Okay, great. Then if you don't believe me, then just believe the works. If I can do what only God can do, then believe me. That you, listen, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. See, guys, today we're talking about a God who makes no sense with his obstinance. And what you find here is, I don't know about you, but the greatest fights that exist, I'd love for you to think about for a second. Think of the, the greatest fight that you've had with another person, okay? All of you who are married, think about the greatest fight <laughs> you've ever had with your spouse, okay? What makes it a great fight? Why is, it a, why, why is this a fight that just goes to the nth degree? You know why? Because I believe what? That I'm right. <laughs> and when I believe I'm right, and you believe you're right, and those things don't match, here we go, baby. Right? Pull off the gloves. We're going at each other. This is when we say, I won't relent because I'm right. I believe something at my core. So when we sing that song, right, he won't relent. Here's, here's what relentless, by very definition. It's when you won't give up. It's inflexible, unyielding, unbending, um, I'm, I'm sorry, unbending and adamant. Can you feel that? <laughs> you ever been there where you're something so strong, you're like, no. Then here's the definition of the word obstinate. I love this. If you're obstinate, it means to be st stubbornly refuse to change one's opinion or chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. And what you find in these first 10 chapters is but Jesus is obstinate. He refuses to relent. And the Pharisees, they're obstinate. And they refuse to relent. It's like, seriously, it's, it's a great fight. In this corner, right? Ding, we got the Pharisees. Now, why did they think they were so right? I'm going to explain them more deeper in a minute. Because they studied the scriptures all their life. You guys, they knew every single word. And they were absolutely convinced that they had figured out the truth and that they were right. And everybody else believed that they were right too. So here you have them. And they go, we studied and we know the truth. And then in this corner, you got Jesus Christ. And what's Jesus say? I am the truth. <laughs> See the problem here? So here we go. Now the fight is on. So what does this mean? And how is this story going to help us in 2016? Here's my question for all of us in this room today. Are you moving forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you at a stalemate with him? Are you moving forward with Jesus? Or would you say right now that you're in a stalemate with him? Is there some place right now where you just realize, you know, I am struggling to believe. I'm struggling to entrust myself to him, to follow him. Now, if this is a good day at K2, then, I, then I'm really, I, I hope that there's, there's plenty of you in this room who have yet decided that Jesus really is who he is. You're, you're here because you're investigating who Christ is. We started this church 
to be a really safe place for anyone, no matter what you believe, to at least have a chance to hear what Jesus has said. And so I'm glad you're here, and I'm hoping that today will help maybe you understand why is it that I don't believe? Why can't I entrust my life to Christ? But I also want to make this very clear. Every one of us in this room that are Christian already, we struggle with things to believe. I've struggled this week to believe and to trust him. Anybody else struggle? Has any Christians in here struggled this week? Okay, good. So here's, here's the point. I have learned that there are definitely some things that I know, I know, but I don't believe them. And the only way you can know you finally believe him is if you're actually entrusting yourself to him. So why, Christian, don't you trust him? Even though you've received him. That's where we gotta go today. And I think the story that we're gonna look at is gonna help all of us understand why we're struggling to believe. Okay? Now, before I jump into the passage, can I say one last thing? Can I remind you, why is Jesus so obstinate? Why won't he budge? And it's because of the song that we sang. When we sang, I set you as a seal upon my heart. This is from the scriptures. It's, it's in Song of Solomon. A seal in, was something that identified that it belongs to you. And God says to everyone in here, you mean so much to me that I take you and I place you as a seal on my heart. That's how much you mean to go. He's, it's just a very poetic, very romantic. The, the Song of Solomon is a romantic book. And God is just trying to help you say, you are right here inside my heart. And that's why these, for there is love that is stronger than death, jealousy demanding as the grave, many waters cannot quench my love. And I just want to tell all of you, Jesus is obstinate. He is relentless because he loves you so much. And he will be relentless with us. And I'm so glad until he has what? It all. Man, he wants you to live. All right? So here we go. Chapter 11. And, and what I realize is, so Jesus does all these great miracles, and I think when you get to chapter 11, I think he's simply saying, okay, I've got one last shot. i got one last shot to try to help people believe. And I think that happens in John 11, chapter 4. He says, um, when they heard this, Jesus said, when he heard that uh, Lazarus had died, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In other words, he's saying again, the reason I didn't come and heal Lazarus is I'm going to let him die because I am going to be glorified and people need to believe in me so that they can have life. In verse 14 and 15, that the, the, all of his disciples saw, oh, Lazarus is just asleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, no, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So he does this whole raising of a dead man so that people will see I really am who I say I am. So we got two things I'm gonna share with you today why we struggle to believe. Number one is this. Sometimes we're obstinate because Jesus doesn't fit into our box. Sometimes we're obstinate, we just don't believe because he doesn't fit into our box. So let's look at the verse. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw that he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees 
and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council, and they were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Now, this is important, right? So these religious leaders get together in another version when it says, what are we doing? They say, what are we accomplishing? (laughs) Nothing's working here because, now notice this, they're not denying that Jesus has miraculous power. You see that? They're not going, hey, he didn't raise that guy from the dead. He didn't heal those people. No, they're admitting this guy is doing many signs. He's doing miraculous powers. And yet, that doesn't cause them to believe. Now, why? Now, I mentioned the Pharisees. We need to understand this. They were the most respected and influential group in all of Judaism. And they were determined to follow in exact detail everything that was required in the Mosaic law. They were going to prove that they were righteous. Now, what was interesting, so you have the Torah, you have the Old Testament, actual written word of God. But these guys, when they read the scriptures, then they had to interpret it. And every time they interpret it, and then they'd reinterpret it, and they did that to figure out how does this law apply to every single area of your life. And so they came up with what was called an oral Torah. They had the written word of God, and now these guys came up with all these human things, these human regulations that you had to follow to make sure that you were doing it right. And they did it right to the T. Do you guys know how many human laws they added to the law of God? Do you know how many? 613. 613 things that you had to do right to show that you were righteous before God. Now, that's why they were so proud, because they were the ones who could do it. So they made up these man-made interpretations, and their eyes got off the real thing, and then... Jesus shows up on the scene, and he doesn't follow any of them. And this is where the conflict rose. Now, did he follow the Old Testament Torah law? Yes, the Bible says he actually fulfilled it. He didn't just follow it. People got to see righteousness in human flesh. But these 613 man-made-up things, Jesus was not interested at all. So when these Pharisees ran into Jesus, they were like, there's no way that you can be the Messiah because you don't do it right. (laughs) We know it's right, and you're not it. You're untrained. Jesus wasn't trained up, right, Uh, in the schools of theology. He was a peasant. He was from Nazareth, for crying out loud. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. They call him a glutton and a drunkard. He didn't obey the Sabbath, and he didn't follow their rules. You guys see how this is working out here? So why were they obstinate? Why would they put their heels in and not believe in him? And I just want to say, this is where I give these guys a lot of grace. I actually give them a lot of grace. Because here's, I think, what was going on. Their own determinations, their own understandings, their own realities, they had studied God's word and they knew what was right. And their, what they came up with, with what is true, demanded that their conscience to not believe in Jesus. 
It demand, what, they, what they came up with demanded that they couldn't believe in Jesus because this is not who the Messiah is in their own eyes. And now let me just bring this home for us today. If you're here today and if you don't believe in Jesus today, then here's my guess. If you're a thinking person at all, then probably your own conscience is demanding that you cannot put your faith in him. And I just want to tell you, that makes sense to me. And, and, and all you guys who are Christians who just think it's foolish that people don't believe what we believe, come on, do you ever see what we believe? I mean, seriously, isn't what we believe pretty weird? So in our day and age, and I just want to, I, I just say, this is why we struggle to believe in the existence of God. Some of you may be here today and just go, I don't even believe there's a God. Well, come on, if you go to any uh, uh, state school at a college level, what are you gonna be told in every class you take? That to believe that there's actually a God is absolute foolishness. So why would you all of a sudden hear, read the Bible and go, oh, I believe. <laughs> Not if you're a thinking person. Your conscience, if, if you're good, if you're, if you're gonna be true to your conscience, there's something inside of you that says, I can't believe there is a God. Maybe some of you believe there is something out there or that there is a God, but it can't be the one true God. See, this is huge in our culture today. There are lots of gods and every God should be the same, right? And we should totally respect and honor anybody else's God. So Jesus comes on the scene, he says, but I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, I'm telling you, if you live in this culture today, your conscience would have to rise up and go, I can't believe in a guy who would say that. Because the, the rule in our culture today is every way is okay. So I, I guess all I want to say this morning is if you're not a Christian and, and, and you're struggling to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, why? I think it just makes sense. Because that's the Pharisees who were in the exact same place. They were trying to be right, and they really believed that they were right. And so when someone else came from a different perspective, they just couldn't believe it. And we get obstinate. We, we refuse to change our course, even though somebody's tried to plead us to do that. So now, can I just, let me just give you a few resources. Grab your pen and your pencil on this one. Because if you're, if you're struggling with this, then you need to know there are brilliant, okay, I'm, tell, I'm talking brilliant men and women throughout the ages who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to take your brain and set it aside to put your faith in Jesus. So let me just give you a few books that might be helpful for you. The first one is Reason for God, Reason for God by Tim Keller. So, and this could be helpful for you or a friend that you have. Tim is a, uh, is a pastor actually in New York City, right in the heart of Manhattan. So, I mean, he's dealing with this all the time at a high intellectual level. Great book, Reason for God. Number two, I, I think mainly, probably the, one of the, well, it is one of the absolute best books almost in our lifetime called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. He will come at so many different angles. That book is like a multifaceted diamond. It's so many cool ways to look at the possibility and the reality of God and of Jesus Christ. 
And then the last one is a guy named Lee Strobel. And uh, Lee was an atheist, didn't believe there was a God at all. And uh, his wife decided to start going to church and she started becoming a Christian. Well, he's like, okay, I gotta put a kibosh on that. And so Lee actually was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. So he goes, well, I'm just gonna take my skill and training and I'm gonna dive in and I'm gonna investigate this whole thing and show that Christianity is a crock and I'll save my wife from going down this weird path. Well, Lee Strobel is a pastor today. <laughs> and, um, but the re and this is why this book is so helpful because even the way the book is written is he takes it from an investigative stance and he actually brings in experts and all these different fields to help you to see how can I be a thinking, I'm telling you, do you guys not hear this in, this in our world today? How can you even be a thinking person and believe that there's a God or believe that Jesus is the son of God? These three books may help you, okay, if you're on that journey. Oh, Case for Christ, sorry. So his book is called The Case for Christ. He has another one called The Case for Faith. Either one of those would be good. Lee Strobel. All right. Now let me turn this uh, to all of us who are Christians. Because the truth is we too struggle with a God who's outside of our box. And, and, and I've said this every, for 10 years, so if you've been here a long time, forgive me, but I need to say it again. I, I just gotta ask you, don't you want a God who's outside your box? Seriously, even if you don't believe in Jesus, do you really want to run into a God who fits in your brain? This is how I've said it. If God can fit into my little pea brain, he is not a very big God. And I think we should expect that when we try to investigate God, he doesn't make sense. He should be way beyond us. And so this is now for Christians, let me just say this. Are you at a stalemate right now with God? Is there an area where you don't trust him? Are you not moving? Are you just stuck? Do you know some things, but you also don't believe them? See, because I just know as a Christian, the more I read God's word, the more I discover what Jesus is teaching, it's like, oh my gosh, this doesn't fit in my box either. Can I give you a few of these? I'm sure if you're in the same boat I am. He says to accept everyone the way that he accepted us. Can I just ask, I mean, do you guys accept everyone? Or did you walk into this church? Look at this, look at this group of people. The one thing that's cool about K2, we are a mixed bag, okay? We are not the same. We're not cookie cutter in here. Do you find yourself accepting everyone in here? Or do you walk in and go, ooh, that person looks a little bit, you know, when you walk over here, you know, and you try to find the people who look the same as you? Yes, we do that. And God says, I have zero favoritism, none. And if you follow me, then you accept everyone. That's outside my box. Jesus says this, if you love those who love you, so what? He goes, tax collectors do that. He says, if you greet only your people, so again, right, we all got these, hey, I'm at this, the same socioeconomic status, right, or the same race, or the same age, or the, hey, we wear the same clothes, we like the same music, he, I like sports, I like music. If you greet only your people, he says, then pagans do that. Every, that's what, it's human to reject others and hang out with just the people who are like you. 
He goes, if that's what you do, then you don't follow me. See, so again, and I'm human, you're human, we all do this. It's so outside our box. Do you care for the poor? He says, listen, if you don't care for the poor, he goes, Matthew chapter 25, right? Crazy chapter where he just gives this great story. And he says, man, thank you so much for feeding me and for visiting me when I was in prison and for giving me a cold drink of water. And everybody's like, what? When did we do that? When you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And if you don't give a cold glass of water, if you don't visit, if you don't take care of those, then on that day, he goes, then you're a goat. You'll be totally separated from me. And yet most, many Christians were like, we just don't go there. That's outside our box. How about sexual purity? I just want to tell you, man, I don't know if anybody is fighting for sexual purity anymore. It's unbelievable to me. Now, if you're not a Christian, well, that makes total sense to me. I never expect anybody who's not a Christian to be sexually pure. That would be weird. Although, there are really good reasons to be sexually pure that have nothing to do with, with God. But can I just say, Christians, it's so, it's so interesting. God cannot be more clear. The sex is supposed to be something that's pure, that's only supposed to be done in marriage. And yet, for some reason, man, we live in a sexually just saturated society. So it's so outside of our understanding. I had a very sexual past, right, when I was in high school and stuff. And I'll never forget when I was 19 and I finally gave my life to Christ, I was like, I was so bummed, right? Okay, I did it again. <laughs> Let me explain. Because <laughs> what I meant, <clears throat> what I meant was, if you get involved sexually, it is not just a physical act. And you, I remember just saying, can I have my heart back? Because there's part of me that you have now. And so man, when I was 19, I made a decision. I will be sexually pure till I marry my wife. I did not know I wasn't going to get married till I was 34. <laughs> 15 years, and I did it. And I want to tell you, you can do this. Now, I want to tell you what, man. So when I met Suze, and we got engaged, and now I know I'm going to marry that woman. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm a pastor, and I'm like, this whole sex to marry thing is just dumb. I know I'm going to marry her. And I want to tell you what, man, there's only, but here's, but Susie and I, we made it. And I tell you, there's only one reason. Well, maybe two. <laughs> but there was one reason. Because Jesus Christ told us to. Period. And there's only one reason. But do you trust him when you don't agree with him? See, and when we're Christians, we go, sexual purity, tithing, that's the other one. Tithing, forget that. I know God says one of them's mine. And if you don't give it to me, you're robbing me. Well, that just doesn't fit my, you're, that's outside my box. This is mine. Selfish ambition. Here's another one. How many of you think if you do everything that you're supposed to do, how many of you think then good things should happen to you? Yes, you, you bunch of liars. Yes, we do. See, so then when I'm a Christian, I'm being faithful to God and bad stuff happens, that's outside my box. That's not how God should operate. Oh, the Bible says that God loves suffering, testing, and trials. 
and they're for my good. See, do you guys see how this works? So can I just tell you, if you're a Christian today, and if you're at a stalemate with God, and there's something that maybe you know, but the truth is you don't believe it because you're not trusting him, and you're not doing what he's asking you to do. For me, here's a couple applications. You've got to be in God's word. You've got to be in God's word. It is the only thing that's actually telling us the truth. Everything outside this world is telling us exactly the opposite, and there's nothing within our human nature that wants to follow God. We will justify all of our actions and miss out, uh, miss out on the eternal life that God has for us. We will be obstinate, and we'll stick our heels, and we'll say no to him. And I tell you, man, I need his word all the time to remind me what is true. And then the second thing is, when you're not being faithful to God and you're not trusting him, you just got to tell him. Be as honest as you, as you can and confess it to him, okay? It, it does no good to try to be this good Christian when you know you're not. And so does he. Just tell him. Confess it to him. And then his grace will touch it and you can move on, all right? So sometimes we're obstinate because he's outside our box. Number two, sometimes we're obstinate because we're afraid of losing our life. John eleven forty eight. These religious people said, if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. They'll take away our place and our nation. So you guys, what's so interesting here, uh, the priests were Sadducees and Pharisees were very interested just in the religious part. But these priests were religious leaders, but they were also political leaders. And so these were the guys who actually kind of cohorted in with the Romans. They kind of kept the peace with the Romans. And so because they were that way, they had status. They had position. They were rich. They were like aristocrats. And so I had never seen this till I studied. From John chapter 1 all the way till now, till the end of chapter 11, you never really see the chief priests. You never see them. The only people you see are the Pharisees because it's all about this religious fighting with Jesus about what is right. But as soon as they realize, if we don't do something, we could lose our place in our nation, now all of a sudden, the high priests show up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, we could use our, lose our position? We could lose our status? We could lose our comfortable life? We could lose our wealth? All right, we're in. And from this point on, you don't see the Pharisees anymore in the story. It's the chief priests. Because they're going to stop this thing. Because what they're saying is, I'm not going to lose my life. And so here's what's interesting. They watch a guy walk on water, feed 5,000 people, heal every disease, raise a man from the dead, and they can't believe in him. Because if he really is the Messiah, then life as they know it and like it will never be the same again. If we believe in him, we're going to lose our life. Kill him. Now, can I just confess something? When I first read this, I was all proud. I'm like, can you believe these guys? I mean, what else do you need? And then I realized, 
I am exactly like them. And so are you. We all are. Because when Jesus asks us, do you believe me? Will you entrust me with everything? Almost all of us say, I don't want to lose my place. I don't want to lose my position. I don't want to lose this lifestyle. I don't want to lose this pleasure, this thing that gives me pleasure. I don't want to lose my reputation. I don't want to lose my circle of friends or the influence I have. I don't want to lose the freedom that I have to do whatever I want. And this is all of us. See, you guys, to truly believe in Jesus, it does threaten our life. He just does. And here's what's interesting. We think to believe in Jesus threatens our life, but he says just the opposite. Look at this. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Can you keep that, just keep that scripture up there? You guys, the religious leaders, they believed that they would lose their life, and this was true, but not in the way that they thought it was true. See, they thought, if this Jesus, he's gonna lead this political rebellion, and we're gonna lose our place. Jesus wasn't gonna lead a political rebellion. <laughs> He was going to lead a spiritual rebellion against sin. Yes, were they going to lose their place? Yes, but not in the way. He, he actually, in doing so, they were actually going to find their life. See, they were so concerned. Oh my gosh, we're going to lose our temple. And when you read later on in the, in the Bible, you realize, yes, you are. You are going to lose your temple. And you're going to become a temple. So instead of going to this building where you think God is, the Bible teaches us that we become his temple and that his spirit comes inside of us. See, sure, we're going to lose our life. I know, and it's going to be so much better if you do. You see, and this is what we don't think. I'm going to lose my life. Yes, and it'll be so much better if you do. See, they thought they were going to lose their place, but the truth was they would become a place of God's dwelling. So to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it is, can I just tell you? Here's the other thing. It is to lose everything. It really is. But then all of a sudden you find in him your life and your place. I think it's so interesting that Paul uses spatial language in the New Testament. He actually uses a location for our identity in Christ. We go, I'm going to lose my place. Okay, great. But you're going to find it because Paul says we are in him and he is in us. We are seated at the right hand of God right now. The Bible says we're seated in the heavenly realms with God. I'm in Christ. See, I'm, so what we're doing as humans, we're all trying to find our place and to show that we matter. And it's my job or it's my relationships or it's my money. It's, my, it's all these things. This is what matters most to me. This is what gives me my identity. And God is just going, can I rescue you from that? Because if you're hoping a relationship is going to get your identity, people leave people all the time and then your life is crushed. If you think your job is going to give your identity, you can lose your job or you can lose your physical ability to, to do your job. And then you lose your identity. See, he's saving us from that. Because then when you go in Christ, you're like, I am so ridiculously loved by God. And now... That's what he wants. I want to tell you guys, the greatest lie of our enemy, and Jesus says we have one, 
the greatest lie of our spiritual enemy. He says this, if you entrust your life to Jesus Christ, you're gonna lose it. And I wanna tell you, many of you right now, you believe that. You still believe that if you gave your life to Christ, you'd lose it. And I hope you hear today, Jesus is going, no. The truth is, if you try to save your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose it for me, you're gonna find it. You really will. And that lie doesn't stop once you become a Christian. <laughs> so funny. He's like, if you serve, you're gonna lose your life. If you tithe, you're gonna lose your financial life. If you forgive, you're gonna lose that power you have over that person. If you share your faith, nobody's gonna to wanna to hang out with you anymore. That's probably true. <laughs> you're gonna lose your life. So what do we do today? What do we do today? I think we need to say one statement that a guy said to Jesus when he asked him if he would heal his daughter. And he looked at Jesus and he says, if you can. And Jesus looked back at him and said, if I can? He said, everything's possible for the one who believes. And then the guy said this beautiful phrase, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. So as the band comes up, I want you to listen to this verse. I use this one all the time in my own personal life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You guys, here's God. I want to tell you right now, he wants to help your unbelief. If you're someone in here today and you're just, you know what, I, I can't believe in Jesus, man. I just, I can't do it. You might even find yourself wanting to, but there's just too many intellectual hoops to get through. I'm telling you, if you will just pray to God and say, God, I, I want to believe in you, but I can't. Will you help my unbelief? There's grace from God. There's mercy from God. There's power from God to actually help you in your unbelief. That's so cool to me. And hey, all of you Christians, I don't know, what is it? Where are you at in a stalemate with God? Is it still with your finances? Are you still like, nope? Are you at a place where you just can't trust him in that? Are you, are, are you not trusting him in your sexual life? Is that just an area where that's just too far? Do you, do, do you, are you a person who judges others and, and you don't accept and love? Are, are you not forgiving something? Well, I don't know what it is. But if there's any place, then here's what I know as a Christian. When I'm not following God, I know I'm not following God. And I'll be honest with you. There are sometimes I can't. I'm just stuck. And how cool is it to know that God says, then come to me. Come to me and ask me for help and I'll give you grace and mercy to help your unbelief. Oh, you guys, if we'll trust him, he says, I only want you to believe in me because then that's way you'll have eternal life. And I'm not talking just about going to heaven. 
I'm talking about life right now is for any person who will trust him, okay? So we have a great song to sing as we close. We're gonna take our offering right now. I've already mentioned this tithing thing. Can I just tell you this? Hey, if you're not a Christian, I, why would, I mean, if you wanna give, great, but that means, to, why would, I totally get it if you don't wanna give. And please don't, you're totally free. I mean, if, if that's, there is no like, hey man, we need you to get, no way. Don't do that. Just, just be totally free. You're our guests. We're just glad you're here, okay? But I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, there's just no way to get around what God has said. Trust me in this. This is the one time he says, test me in this one, you guys, and see if I won't blow the doors off with blessing towards you. I think I'm doing a better job, God. Well, here's your shot to trust him, to believe him and see what he'll do, all right? And then we're gonna sing and we're just gonna ask God to help us. God, will you help me? Please help my unbelief, all right? Let's stand together, let's give him our offerings and let's worship him.